Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Proust Questionnaire. 35 questions giving us insight into what makes creative people tick. Hello, Uli. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. I'm really excited about today's guest. Oh, me too. So yeah, tell us about her because she's a friend of yours. I'm thrilled we got her on the show. So Pamela Sneed is a poet and a performance artist who I met uh, a long time ago. And she's an, an activist, an actress, a teacher. Uh, the book that I've taught several times is called Imagine Being More Afraid of Freedom Than Slavery. And a book that's coming out soon is called Funeral Diva, where she talks about especially the contributions of queer people of color during the AIDS pandemic. Wonderful. She's an amazing person. She's also hilariously funny. So I think we'll have a great conversation with her. And for our guests to learn more about us, we both teach literature, you at Barnard and Columbia, I at NYU. My social media is ULINYC, it's U-L-I-N-Y-C on Instagram, Uli Bear, which is U-L-I-B-A-E-R on Twitter. And you, you have social media and we also have an account for this podcast. That's correct. I'm only on Instagram. I was late to the social media game, and my Instagram handle is Caroline Weber 2020 and that's all one word, and the twos and the zeros are numerals not written out. And then our Instagram account for the podcast is Proust.questionnaire. And we also want people, of course, to follow Pamela Sneed on Instagram, and um, we want to hear from people. So if you have comments or questions or ideas for who we should have on this show, please be in touch. Pamela's Instagram is Pamela underline Sneed on Instagram. So, and she posts a lot of pictures. She's now into painting. So uh, we're excited to have her on the show today. Terrific. Pamela, we're so happy to have you as a guest today on the Pooh's Questionnaire. Thank you for uh, joining us. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And you are uh, sheltering, this is during the pandemic, you're in lockdown in Brooklyn, is that correct? Yes, I am, downtown Brooklyn, in my apartment. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us uh, from there. And we'll start off with the first of these 35 questions, which is, what, Pamela, is your idea of perfect happiness? Ha. Well, for me, I've become rather obsessed with painting, right? <laughs> so um, I would say painting, beautiful literature, having those things around me, being able to paint, water. I like oceans. I like beaches, sunshine, and good people around me. And also, well, I mean, my idea of like, Happiness isn't just a, a private thing. I mean, you know, if we're going utopian, I would say, you know, everybody on the planet having enough food to eat, and <laughs> having shelter, freedom from discrimination. I think those would go into my perfect happiness. That's great. I have to say, you're the first, I think you're the first person we've spoken to who's generalized happiness to include someone other than herself. And that's really inspiring. It's a nice way to, uh, to start this conversation. Yeah, I think that's important to me, like in my prayers and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not like a big religious person, but I would consider myself to be a spiritual person. And um, I definitely feel like, you know, 
the health of the globe is is part of my perspective and part of my desire. Yeah. You know, freedom, safety, food, shelter, electricity, you know. <laughs> and painting and literature and good people. <laughs> yeah, and swimming. If I can go swimming. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sounds good. All right. Uh, what, Pamela, is your greatest fear? Maybe not making an impact uh, on the planet. Maybe being unrecognized for my work in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is the trait you most deplore in yourself? Well, I don't know if it's a trait because it's, it's like, it goes hand in hand with my strength. So my strength is my courage. And, um, and then those times when I'm not courageous is probably the time that, you know, yeah, that's the trait I most deplore. I see. Yeah, when I don't stand up to something, when I don't face something, um, when I give way to my fear, yeah. And it's interesting to have you couple that with your greatest strength. So it's when, you're, when your strength fails you in those instances, which I mean, I think it must in all of us, but that's an interesting way of framing the question. What is the trait you most deplore in others? Lack of courage. Again, okay. Uh, lack of courage and um, dishonesty. Okay. Uh, Pamela, which living person do you most admire? Uh, that's so hard. I really like Claudia Rankine. Mm. Um, she's a very good person. Um, and she just wrote a blurb for my book. And so I'm pretty thrilled about her right now. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason why like her. And uh, I mean, I, I really like the work of Sadia Hartman. Yeah. Um, I admire her. Um, Colson Whitehead, um, I really like him. So this probably goes in hand with my literature people. Yeah, but I think, I think um, the artists, and also, you know, I mean, again, this is like, I, I, I always answer kind of complicated <laughs> because I really, um, like people will ask me who is my greatest inspiration or something like that. And um, like, it's not, it's not reserved for famous people. You know, it's like, I mean, I work with students. I mean, I teach, um, you know, at Columbia and um, at School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I teach online. And, um, and I admire my students, um, you know, in their every age. So, you know, so it really, you know, just has to do with like, you know, who's around and who's doing, you know, interesting things and who's doing courageous things. I mean, I really, you know, I admire the person who just, uh, you know, hired me to do the Black Lives Matter, you know, public art, you know, because it's also, uh, you know, it's economic, you know, as well as, uh, you know, emotional and, and all of that. And so, you know, I mean, I thought that was important. So, yeah. And you just put up a mural in uh, Lower Manhattan, right? And someone invited you to do it. So actually yeah. commissioned you. It's your first piece of public art. So we'll, we'll include a picture of it on our website. People can, yeah. even those who are not in Manhattan. <laughs> Thank you. Can you tell us where it is? So maybe our listeners can walk by and see it too? Um, well, it's on the corner of uh, Broadway and Lafayette, but I think there okay. No, not Broadway and Lafayette, Bond Street and uh, Lafayette. But uh, there are two corners between Bond and Lafayette or something. There's something confusing. So it's really between, what did she say, Bowery? Yeah. And Lafayette on Bond, closer to, yeah, yeah closer to uh, Lafayette. We, okay. we will, but we will take a picture because as much as we love it, we also hope at some point they will take down the boards again in Manhattan and Soho, right? So right now it's actually covering a store. What is um, your greatest extravagance? Um, art. Um, I, I buy a lot of art. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess I'm a collector and clothes. You know, I like 
I like fashion. <laughs> yeah, I have to stop that. I mean, at least the quarantine has kind of like broken that, you know, that uh, extravagance because there's nowhere to wear any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of like changing my opinion. But now that I'm home, I'm buying even more. And th that's the other thing, like shout out to the artists because I really feel like um, it's artists who really, besides, um, you know, the healthcare workers and food service, like it's really like artists who've like stepped up and like um, have donated their services, have donated their art, like everywhere you see, you know, artists have really you know, given to, you know, Black Lives Matter to help during this quarantine. Um, and so, uh, so I've gotten like, you know, through like uh, lotteries and stuff like that <laughs> and oh, auctions, nice. I've gotten some beautiful art for like a little bit of money, which is really sad, but it's a good time to invest. Nice. <laughs> what is your current state of mind? Huh. That's interesting. Um, I think I'm in a good place. I get, I don't know, you know, like in the last two weeks, it's been the, the murder of George Floyd and, you know, and then the black jogger who was killed and Brianna Taylor, I think is her name. I don't know. So there's been a sequence of police murders of, of uh, black people. Um, and then there's been this quarantine. So... Uh, at the beginning of the quarantine, um, I just slept a lot. You know, I slept like 48 hours. <laughs> I don't know. 24 wow. hours, 48 hours. I don't know. I was really going for it. And um, so I was a little disoriented. You know, my whole schedule was off. And, uh, and then, you know, people were saying, well, it's not like, you know, it's not an artist residency. You know, you don't have to produce but I have actually used it as an artist residency. So I basically, I spend a lot of time painting and studying. So those have been good for me. Um, I think the isolation has been, you know, difficult, like not seeing people. Uh, like yesterday when I was doing the mural, a lot of people came by to hang out and kind of cheer me on. And uh, that was, you know, with masks. And that was like incredible. I was so giddy to like, you know, see and be around people. You know, I was really happy. Yeah. Uh, so I missed that. Um, but then I think the police killings like really had me upset. And that's been in the last two weeks. And so basically I, you know, I spoke at a town hall for something. And, uh, and I really, I, I generally am not, you know, so emotional in public. I mean, I'm a poet, so... You know, I do express myself, but, you know, it's not like me to, like, speak about something and then burst out crying, uh, which is what happened, you know. And luckily, I wasn't on camera, but, and then um, I hadn't realized how upset I was, you know, about Black Lives Matter and just everything that was going on with the police murders, you know. I mean, it was just, you know... <sighs> I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but just like the callousness, it was like, it was so traumatizing to watch that cop just, you know, like sitting there casually, you know, like uh, killing this man, you yeah. know? And I, I mean, it has to be one of the most like traumatic things I've, I've witnessed publicly. And then, you know, uh, just like the protest, yeah, it was like enough is enough. And, and so, uh, but it was also really scary. It was like, you know, I mean, the pandemic has thrown the world upside down. And then uh, these police murders, you know, have really come to a head. And so um, I got really, really sad and I got angry. But then I'm also excited, you know, like now I'm in an excited place because I just feel like, you know, social change, you know, finally, you know, it's like all over the world, people have been standing up, you know, and like, the only people in the US that have like stood up are, you know, Puerto Ricans, like, you know, they did earlier in the year. So that was like, really great. But, um, you know, sort of like on the mainland, we couldn't like get any, you know, <laughs> couldn't get anything, you know. And so finally, for things to come to a head, and people just you know, standing up. I mean, I just thought it was like, 
I don't know. I just thought we were like in a coma. I mean, you had Hong Kong, you've had uh, Chile, you've had, you know, you've had every, every, everyone, you know, all over the globe standing up and you couldn't get anything happening in, in America besides right. Puerto Rico. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it does feel like something is finally starting to change is that your is that part of why you say you're excited because it feels yeah, like yeah i'm all for the revolution yeah <laughs> i mean i feel like it's a culmination of a lot of work like i feel i feel a part of it i mean i feel like um you know i've raised you know in terms of teaching i've raised all my generations you know regardless of age you know i raised them all to fight you know so this is this is a long time coming, you know, so I'm excited. So what generally, today I will say my frame of mind is good. Good. <laughs> um, what do you consider the most overrated virtue? I think the word is piousness. I don't know, like, uh, like maybe uh, false humility. Okay. Is, that an, is that an answer? Yeah. No. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm really irritated by, you know, people who like, you know, pretend that, oh, they're so, you know, I don't know. They're so humble or something and they're really hiding behind it. You know, it's like, it's kind of like a passive aggressive kind of thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh yes. Whatever you want, you know, and really there's an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. On, on what occasion do you lie? Oh boy, uh, <laughs> I guess when I'm really, really, really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try not to, or uh, I mean, I definitely think in my writing, like I try to like, you know, fess up to, you know, places where I've been dishonest, you know? And, uh, and then also, like, I come from, like, uh, an alcoholic background in that my father is an alcoholic. And so, uh, you know, I went to an ACO, ACOA meeting, like, back in the day, and they said, you know, uh, adult children tend to lie when it's just as easy to tell the truth. And oh. so, really, like, sort of, like, a trait of people who've grown up in addictive families. So in my younger life, I think I used to lie a lot. And then um, in my adult life, it's been, I think that, that also, you know, when I saw that, that was actually really healing for me. Hmm. Yeah. What do you most dislike in this age of Zoom about your appearance? Oh, well, now I just feel fat because I've been in lockdown so long. <laughs> You're not you alone. Yeah, I'm just like, oh my God, help, you know, I have to start jogging. Well, painting a mural sounds pretty physically uh, taxing. So I think that probably counts as cardio of some kind. Yeah, well, the other thing is, is that the further that I've gotten into, you know, painting and drawing and all that other stuff i mean it's it's you know hours of sitting you know what yeah. i mean but like that too you know yeah which, my editor always says sitting is the new smoking which makes me yeah. incredibly self-conscious because most of the things i do involve sitting as well you know writing yeah, yeah. which living person do you most despise trump okay that was and easy yeah. <laughs> You're not alone there either. Uh, any, would you like to add anything to that or shall we move on? No, I think he's just like uh, despicable and dangerous, him and his whole cabinet. And, uh, you know, and they're like pretending that he didn't know that he was scheduling a rally in Tulsa on Juneteenth. And, you yeah. know, People still have this idea of like, you know, he like gets up, you know, bedraggled or something and then like, you know, disheveled and like, you know, tweets, right? And it's like, we have to strike that image from our head, you know, that this is a campaign and this is like psychological warfare and that none of this is an accident and that all of this is a strategy, 
right? Um, and so as long as they can like sort of like, you know, create him as this, I mean, you know, as this character in a reality show, he's the villain, you know, or the big baby or all those things. Like people are not really addressing the the actuality of what's going on. And this is psychological warfare, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I'm very serious about that. And I really want, you know, when people start, you know, giving him these like traits, like, oh, you know, he's so stupid. And it's like, no, he's crazy like a fox. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like that whole administration, this is like, you know, more than Karl Rove could have dreamt of, you know? So I think that, people really have to start looking at this, you know, for what it is. Because as long as we continue to look at it as like, you know, individual kind of like personality traits, uh, we're in trouble. Yeah. These next two questions are um, quite gendered in a way that Uli and I always feel kind of bad about, but we did make the decision to keep this uh, questionnaire in its late 19th century form, so they're gendered. Uh, the first of the two questions is, what is the quality you most like in a man? I think, <laughs> I saw this last <laughs> night, and I was like, I think uh, intellectualism. Hmm. <laughs> and yeah. what, is, what is the quality you most like in a woman? Probably, yeah being an intellectual i don't know i think in both i like like sensuality um like coupled with you know like a really strong intellect <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. i like sharp cookies <laughs> well that explains why you and uli are friends uh, yes exactly uli gets I'm all like you get all my jokes too when I was doing the plantation series. <laughs> oh, God. We actually met, I remember we met, it was a book presentation perhaps for you when the title of your book is Can You Imagine Being More Afraid of Freedom Than of Slavery? Is that the title of the book? Yes, yes. yes. So when that book came out, I remember and I met you and we hung out at this event and we talked about your practice of how you write. And whether you write by with a pen or a pencil or a computer or whatever it was at the time, I remember. And I remember we were laughing so much. And we also just sort of, so it was really great. And I remember this was a long time ago. And then I, I've been teaching your, that book for a long time in my class. And part of it, the energy of that book, the title is so daunting and kind of complicated and um, such a terrifying contradiction. But there's so much um, spirit in it which I really love. So I actually, when I teach it, I always think of you and I'm kind of, it's not I'm laughing, but I'm kind of energized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I have another one coming out, uh, which is called Funeral Diva. And um, it's sort of like, it's about coming of age during the AIDS era, you know, in New York City. And uh, kind of like, it's memoir-ish, you know, how I kind of came into being um, as an activist, as a queer activist. Yeah, and it documents like uh, black lesbians and gays, uh, you know, who are felt to AIDS and to cancer. Um, and I really feel like there's a whole generation that's been undocumented. Um, and so, and then also uh, women haven't really been, and women of color haven't really been looked to to tell that story. But I was really good friends with um, a lot of uh, Black gay poets who died. And, um, and so, yeah, so I'm telling my story. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting a lot of like really uh, positive, um, you know, all the blurbers have written back and said that it's a really important book and that it's like uh, deeply soul stirring. And so I'm really looking forward to that. It's coming out in October, 2020. Yeah, so we're working on the galleys now. Oh, that's really, that's really great. So, uh, so Funeral Diva, okay. Yep. Um, that is really wonderful. But I also think it's so great that you're centering, um, especially sort of queer people of color in this story, because as we know, we had to correct the idea that Stonewall was started by a bunch of white gay men, it was actually not that. It was trans 
women of color. So in some ways, I'm so glad you're, you're coming out with this book when we're looking at all these histories and who has been excluded from them. So thank you. That's, so Funeral Diva out in October, we'll look forward to it. Maybe you'll send me your galleys before they come out <laughs> and I can, I'd love yeah. to see it. <laughs> I will do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having my soul stirred. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's um, what they're saying, you know, yeah, I mean. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, some of the, like, hardcore critics, the ones that I know don't lie, you know what I mean? Like, they're writing, they're like, hey, Pamela, I'm really enjoying your book. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> did they just say that? <laughs> uh, so wonderful. Yeah, there's nothing better than when someone you respect and know to be rigorous has words of praise like that. Um, which words or phrases do you most overuse, whether as a writer or in everyday life or both? In interviews, I say like a lot. <laughs> what or who is the greatest love of your life? I'm going to go. I'm taking the safer answer. I'm going to say poetry and painting. The safer answer? Yeah, I'm not going to place that on an individual. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Uh, Pamela, when and where were you happiest? Well, I had a really, like, I think um, in 2011, I went to South Africa for the first time. And, I mean, one of, like, my life goals was actually to, like, meet Mandela before he died. But that didn't happen. But I did, um, I went to South Africa and, um, and I ended up um, performing in, uh, what is it, in this bookstore called Love and Revolution. It's not there anymore. And basically I was in, you know, in Johannesburg and, you know, there's like a really like big burgeoning, you know, radical uh, queer community in Johannesburg, in South Africa. And, uh, and basically, it was like standing room only. I mean, like people, there were lines down the block uh, for people to come to this reading. And, um, and some I knew, like, I don't know, I knew from different realms of life and in a lot I didn't know. But it was the mo one of the most profound moments of my life, I think, you know. Uh, because I also kind of like came of age on anti-apartheid, you know, politics. And I mean, I was, you know, sitting in a room at like the new school and we would, you know, talk about like, I don't know, Mandela, you know, going underground and like different towns and all this stuff in South Africa. And interestingly enough, like I never, I never imagined that I would ever be part of the conversation. You know, like, I always thought I would be, like, a viewer. And then um, later, I, I was, you know, asked when I was home, and it was, like, a, a year or two later, and I was asked to go to this dinner. And, um, and it was, like, women of, like, all colors from all over the globe, uh, a lot from South Africa. And basically you know, they had heard of me and they said, oh, wow, you're the world famous poet. And mm. I was like, wow. And I mean, I wrote about it, but I actually felt like it was like a meeting of like, a, I don't know, the Fantastic Four, all the superheroes from all over the globe, you know, came together um, to kind of like talk and strategize. I mean, some of those people worked for the UN and some were doctors and and so, and also I sat on uh, South African radio while I was there. And I think really being in conversation, I mean, I really feel like, you know, and I read parts of Imagine Being More Afraid of Freedom than Slavery. And I really felt like my words landed in a way that maybe they hadn't even landed here. Like, I just felt like I really met my audience. And it was just this kind of symbiotic, like, I don't know, moment, but really, really beautiful and really triumphant. And that literally, you know, I had a seat at the table. And so to think of myself as like, I don't know, an unofficial, you know, ambassador or just to be part of that dialogue, you know, mm -hmm. um, wow. I think that was profound. Yeah, I was like sitting on panels with people who've been jailed 
you know, during the apartheid era and for all of us to be in conversation. I think that that was, that has to be like one of my favorite moments. Yeah. In life. Which talent would you most like to have? I don't know. I think I have them all. I mean, I've, <laughs> like I, I started singing this year and I got a commission to do uh, a show and uh, it got postponed because of, um, because of the, the pandemic. But um, I'm doing a show, which is a tribute to Big Mama Thornton. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, she was like, you know, foundational to like rock and roll, you know, black lesbian, like dressed in men's clothes. I really think, you know, she'd be, she'd be a trans performer. But anyway, yeah, so, and I identify with her. Uh, she comes to uh, music, you know, uh, by way of the church. And my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. So I come to poetry and I come to art by way of the black church. Um, so there's a lot of that. So, I mean, really, you know, um, and I did a show with a band. I mean, I sang with a band, uh, which was unbelievable. And uh, brought the house down. It was amazing. Eileen Miles was there. And Eileen was like, holy shit, right? <laughs> and, um, and I was singing and I was dancing. So there was that. And I've started painting. Um, so, and I write. So I think I, I can direct. I can act. So I don't know. I don't, I, there's nothing that I really... <laughs> I want to do at this point. <laughs> That's good. I, we, I can't wait to see this, uh, this show, Big Mama Thornton. That, that will be amazing when it comes back, when we come back yeah. to real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be in November at uh, Triangle Theater in Dumbo. Okay. Yeah. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Oh, I'm too sensitive. Hmm. I mean, it's probably, it's probably good, you know, for being an artist, but yeah, it's, it's probably like uh, pretty detrimental in some ways. I mean, I think I take, I think like, uh, you know, Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower and there's Lauren who's the hyper empath. Yeah. And I think that's like metaphoric for artists, you know, like that's the artist that we are the feelers, we are the sponges, we are the, you know, and uh, yeah, and like every time somebody gets shot in that book, like she feels the shot, you know, in her body. She's like, uh, what is it? You know, incapacitated. And so I, I totally identify with that. What do you consider your greatest achievement? I think that, that I've survived to be the artist that I want to be. Nice. Yeah. If you were to die and come back as another person or as a thing, who or what would that be? Hmm. I don't know. I'm stuck on that one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, where would you most like to live? I mean, I kind of like, I like New York City. I mean, I'm a, I'm a diehard, you know, city person. Sometimes I think about like, living in parts of Africa, like part-time, like Ghana or South Africa. But, you know, but I think like some of the queer politics in some of those places are really problematic. I mean, they're problematic here, but they're problematic there. And I don't necessarily feel like that, those would be like really safe spaces for me to <clears throat> live in. Um, so let's say I'm more accustomed to, you know, the challenges here. Um, but... I definitely like water. You know, if I could live like part-time, you know, even like parts of North Carolina are really nice, like, you know, uh, by the beach, you know. Outer Bay. Yeah, to have a beach house, yeah. you know, a retreat, you know. <laughs> so good. Keep, so keep a big, like, have like a big loft or something, like a huge apartment overlooking the city in New York and then have a, a beach, you know, house somewhere. Yeah. 
What is your most treasured possession? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, probably my journals. Have you been, have you kept a journal for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I've kept journals for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, all my life. Okay. Yeah, that's a great record to have. Was that, did you use those when you were writing um, Funeral Diva? Um, yeah, well, basically, you know, I started some of the first stories for Funeral Diva, like started around 9-11. So, huh. yeah, like 19, 20 years ago, I started some of those stories. So yeah. there's, been a, there's been a long, long trajectory of those, those works coming yeah. into being. You know, Pamela, you gave me a poem for this anthology. I edited 110 stories. Yeah. And I was always really proud of this book because I didn't write it. It was 110 people who wrote this book and it was for me a way to find community after that crisis. And so I remember your poem really well and it's about teaching English to a class of first generation immigrant kids. And then the one kid says something and the other kid said, can, can we talk about this? I thought this is off limits to talk about 9-11 and Islam. And you teach this topic at that moment and at the end, of the poem and something like the student says to you something like teacher you teach you teach english so good <laughs> yeah. a, a way to get people to speak at a moment when so many people couldn't participate in this conversation or were excluded and there was this kind of rule in some schools let's not talk about 9-11 because it's divisive i love this poem so i always thought this was such a powerful poem sort of who gets to participate in the narrative of what just happened to america <laughs> so uh, so yeah. that, poem, that poem has already been published. Maybe there's a part of it that got into another part of Funeral Diva. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I do talk about, like, I was going over the galleys and stuff, and um, what is it? Uh, there was, like, a really, like, um, I don't know. Uh, like, I love pop culture. And there was this piece, like, I was talking about... Um, Planet of the Apes, because I've like done, you know, for a while I did a piece called um, Kong, and it was about, you know, King Kong, and uh, and the first uh, movie that I saw um, after I came back from Ghana in 2005, uh, the first movie I saw after the, after the summer of Katrina, where, where I was in Ghana, uh, was Planet of the Apes in the American movie theater, and I thought, oh my God. God, right? Wow. But the interesting thing is, is that, I mean, it's totally like Hollywood very much changed after 9-11, right? And so you saw things that, that you would have never seen before, which was like, you know, Ladder 49, you know, Joaquin Phoenix doesn't, you know, emerge from the flames, right? And that would have never happened before 9-11, right? So, and then, um, and so then Kong is resurrected and it's not, you know, just like the racist kind of like trope, you know, all that is there. But then it's that, you know, Kong is like reinvented after 9-11 as an, as an American soldier, right? So, you know, Kong is like handling business, you know, in the jungle, you know. And, you know, at the end where, you know, he shot down, I mean, that's a representation of the American people. And, um, and he's fighting the planes, right? So, so like all this stuff is like really fascinating for me. I mean, I'd love to do a book on it. But, um, and so then, um, and so I've done a lot of analysis of Planet of the Apes as well. And, um, and basically, again, Caesar, you know, the talking ape. I mean, it's a nod to the Obama age, right? And I mean, all of this is very like offensive, but it's also fascinating. But but so the idea is at the end of um, at the end of the movie, uh, what is it? Caesar, you know, like the white owner says to Caesar, you know, the talking ape says, you know, listen, Caesar, you know, come home. And Caesar says, I am home. Right. And like, that's the first time like in the sci fi genre that any alien ever says that they're home. Huh. So this is reclamation of American soil, 
right? So it's totally like, so it's a nod to the Obama age, right? Um, so, but then, yeah, it's like, it's fascinating to me because that, that shifts the entire genre because mm -hmm. all aliens always say they want to go home, right? you know? So to recognize America then as a home, yeah, is like, wow. That's profound to me. And anyway, so I didn't realize that I had gotten it into this book somehow as a poem. Like, and I was like reading it. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. And I, I'm like, I mean, it's probably pretty nerdy of me because I I watch all this stuff, and and maybe it's not as meaningful to other people as it is to me. But like, like that, like analysis of that kind of stuff is like really profound. And yeah. like looking at like how film has changed, but definitely Kong, you know, is is now uh, after 9-11, you know, Kong is symbolic of so many other things. Right. What do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? Oh boy, probably like not being healthy, like, you know, being sick or something, not having, uh, community, yeah. What is your favorite occupation? Teaching, what I do, yeah. I think teaching is a good thing, yeah. yeah. What is your most marked characteristic, the trait in you that you think others notice the first or the most about you? <laughs> Maybe my strength, you know, or my height, mm -hmm. you know. Oh yeah, well, you and I have never met in person. Do you mind my asking how tall you are? Six, two and a half. No way! <laughs> Another good reason to be friends with Uli. I'm only 5'11", which is a midget by comparison, but I always love being around tall people and people who are taller than I am. That's, uh, that's right. Do you feel like people comment? Uli and I have had this conversation before sometimes. Do you feel like people feel uh, entitled just to talk to you about your height? Yeah, about everything. I think like, so many assumptions are made mm. you know I've been I haven't figured out how to really talk about it yet but part of like my frustration with what's happening with regard to Black Lives Matter with regard to you know George Floyd and stuff like that um in terms of our organizing against you know police brutality like one of the things that I've experienced my whole life is people being threatened by me because of the fact that I'm, you know, I'm tall, I'm black, yeah. I'm a woman, right? And like all kinds of like projections, like just sheer out now projection. And it's really, I mean, it's done a lot of damage, you know, that I'm very much to myself where I'm probably much more of a social person, but, um, but you know, my trust has really been, you know, uh, ruined through that process because people like really don't want to you know get to know who I am and all of this other stuff so then I'm like well wait a minute if I've lived this experience my whole life of people just projecting upon me right then it's like well you know dismantling the police is not gonna solve it you know I mean it's like <laughs> part of it but it's like we have a lot a lot a lot of work to do because we've internalized all these systems do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, you know, I encounter rejections every single day, you know? And, and, and sometimes it's by people I love, you know what I mean? So in that regard, it's just, it's, there's way too much othering, you know, going on. And, um, and I really, I feel that the police, like, have to be completely re-educated, that that whole system has to change. But dismantling them, yeah, I don't think so, you know? And um, and I just, I feel like, yeah, so you dismantle them only to find out that the systems exist inside of us. So what, what are we gonna do here? Yeah. No, you're right, it goes to something so deep-seated in humanity and it's hard to imagine how to, how to unlearn all that. Marcel Proust, who I can never resist uh, mentioning at least once per podcast, has a great quotation where he says, our social personality is the construction of others. Just that anytime we're around other people, we're a screen for their projections. And uh, it just seems like that can get amplified with such deleterious 
consequences as you've um, as you've suggested and just quote unquote dismantling the police i guess won't, won't change that what do you most value in your friends loyalty <laughs> loyalty and protection okay. yeah. who are your favorite writers right now i'm really i'm really happy about colson whitehead like, you know, The Underground Railroad, I just, I love that book. I really thought what he did with those female characters, you know, I just thought it's brilliant. It's a really brilliant book. So Colson Whitehead is, is a hero of mine. And interestingly enough, like, like I really like uh, Yakiasi's um, Homegoing. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that she's my favorite writer but I feel like what is achieved in that book is really important mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but what's the question who, who do I most admire <laughs> favorite writer so we have Colton Whitehead and and you just have now Yagyasi so those are your favorite writers yeah that's that's a really that's a great start for lots of people so Underground Railroad I agree I think is one of the great novels the whole Me too. The whole conceit that there's really a train running like makes that book just just totally irresistible. And the scenes where the woman is in the attic and witnesses oh yeah. it's like this kind of weird theatrical prefiguring with what the movies are going to be. She's seeing this life in front of her. It's just amazing book, an amazing book. Yeah, and I just I like the story. Um, I actually reference it. I think they took out some of the references in in um <laughs> in Funeral Diva. There's a one there's one big piece which is called history. And I'm sort of going back and forth in like a personal history, but I'm also reading culture as I do. And um and I'm adopted. And so and Cora, who's the main character in uh the Underground Railroad, basically is an orphan. Right, and so like um, I identify with that, right, uh, of the abandoned girl, right, and so I'm writing a little, and actually, so I sample a little bit of uh, the Underground Railroad, of course, with credit, and um, and then Yagiasis, I also talk about that, about being at Cape Coast Castle and in Ghana, and about legacies, and so I think they cut out like some of the references <laughs> to. Um, you know, to Colson Whitehead. But then I was like, I was looking over the, the manuscript and I was like, oh my God, they did leave in a section about, you know, the Underground Railroad. Oh, I'm so excited, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good, this is the next question. Who is your hero of fiction? So Cora is one of them in the mm -hmm. Underground Railroad. Do you have any other heroes in fiction? You know, there's also something that I've been fascinated about, but I can't remember her name. And um, in the Book of Negroes, uh, which is like, I guess a fiction that came out of, it's historical fiction, um, came out of Canada. I forget the writer's name, but, and they, and BT uh, adapted it into a miniseries, terrible miniseries. Um, but interestingly enough, there was a character, and I read it probably about 15 years ago, but there was a character um, in that book uh, so it's about like the slave trade and like, you know, black people being captured from Africa and then, you know, being brought, I mean, I think they ended up in England, maybe in the colonies and then they end up in Sierra Leone. So it's an interesting trajectory, you know, like I think, um, it doesn't follow the, you know, complete like from Africa to like, you know, to Southern plantation. So there's an interesting thing about like how these um, Africans ended up, you know, founding Sierra Leone and stuff like that. So that's interesting. But there was a character in this book that, uh, that basically, like she, I think maybe she's mentally ill, but like, she's like this slave that is just like nuts. Like she just doesn't do anything right, you know? And so like, and like, I don't know, like they're trying to organize a rebellion or something. And she like, and she takes, you know, her friend's, I don't know, baby and throws it overboard. Like, she just does everything wrong, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I loved her. And, like, they don't, she never made it into the miniseries, right? 
But, like, she's, like, the first, like, slave character that I ever read that, like, is not noble. You know? That, like, she's just, like, she's a mask, right? And, um, and so, and I love this, like, rendering of her because it's, like, it opens like all these possibilities, you know, because we always get that same story of like, you know, oh, they, you know, they cry on cue, you know, they follow the line, you know, uh, you get like the one rebel, but like, you know, to have like a woman who just, you know, she's just not right. And, um, and she doesn't take to slavery very well. And um, yeah. And I, I, just find her brilliant and that like really opened up some possibilities i think you know definitely in terms of how we read slavery you know i'm gonna look that up book of negroes i've never heard of this so that's that's great i actually don't know this and so i look it up and there's a tv series so maybe i'll start there and work back yeah, to find cora or whatever it is very poor it's like i mean they really didn't you know in cuba gooding gooding has like a really bad accent and oh no it's, it's strange, but um, but in that character never even makes it into the miniseries because I looked for her. And it, was probably, it was probably too complicated to like try to render her. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The, uh, the main character is Araminta, I think, and um, and she, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, and um, and she becomes like an a famous like abolitionist, but she keeps records. Uh, you know, of the Negroes, you know, and so that's like, that's the whole thing, the book of the Negroes. Okay. Keeping ledgers, you know. Uh, which historical figure do you most identify with? Really easy, Mandela. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Who are your heroes in real life? Tubman, Harriet Tubman. Oh, that are still living or that just... It doesn't matter. Uh, so I think Harriet Tubman, Audre Lorde, uh, let's see, Nelson Mandela, sometimes Winnie Mandela for a certain, for a certain period. Yeah. Um, who else? I don't know. As I said, Colson Whitehead. Um, I like Chimamanda Adichie's like early fiction. Oh no, you know, there there are a lot of like freedom fighters emerging now too. You know, it's not um and again, like I don't necessarily just like like uh famous people, like everyone around me influences me. My students, you know, are heroic to me, my friends are heroic to me. Um, you know, like now and now I find myself like following around painting teachers. <laughs> <laughs> you know so there's like this, this whole thing of like anyone who teaches me painting I'm in love with you know it's like it's just like a whole like secret society I don't know like listening to the way that somebody I mean watching the way that you know somebody like mixes paint and like you know puts it on a puts it on a canvas that's beautiful to me or how they impart you know their wisdom and so you know, a lot of the painters like Joan Mitchell and um, I like abstract expressionism, certainly a lot of like, you know, Bearden, uh, you know, Picasso, Cezanne, you know. Yeah, so that, that's like a whole new society for me, I have to yeah. say, of like, you know, falling in love with painting teachers. <laughs> what are your favorite names? Names? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to pass on that. I don't have any favorite names. Uh, Fair enough. What is it that you most dislike? Dishonesty and lack of courage. Mm -hmm. Cruelty. What is your greatest regret? My greatest regret? Damn. Maybe, like, I think I'm, like, not... I think I'm not assertive enough about like dating and stuff. I think that, you know, so I think probably not pursuing people that I've liked. So when we get out of the lockdown, you can, we can all work on those things. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like people are going to be crazy following each other down streets. Hey, hey, I like you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
you're, you're a person who I have, I've not seen anybody. It doesn't really matter who it is. <laughs> How would yeah. you like to die? Huh? How would you like to die? Oh, with lots of dignity. Uh, <laughs> um, well, interestingly enough, okay, this is like a long story short, but, uh, but basically, I know that, I think it was Du Bois who at the end of his life, like became an expatriate, like, uh, like uh, renounced America, went to live in Ghana. And, you know, I don't know, like there's some, I think I want to be seen as like more like global or international. And then interestingly enough, one of my poetry teachers was Sekou Sandiata. And um, he taught me at the new school and Sekou, uh, really wonderful poet. He was like, uh, he was very much a student of uh, Baraka and he, um, he had a band. So basically Sekou died like really young, maybe about 10 years ago. And then all this like really odd stuff happened. But like my, my teacher, my former teacher at the new school, her son was in Ghana and then the son took Seiko's name to the Cape Coast castle and carried it kind of like to the ancestors. And, um, and I thought, oh my God, and that made me cry because that's like a really important place for me. And so I think that the idea that my name would be carried to the ancestors or that I would be part of that would be really important to me. What is your motto? <laughs> Never give up. <laughs> it's a good one. Pamela, we added one question to this questionnaire, which is who would you like to hear answer these questions on our show? So am I recommending someone to... Yeah, but you can, you can recommend without any obligation. So it could be like just someone who you would be interested in hearing from. Have you answered these questions, Uli? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. I don't know. Claudia Rankine. Oh, that's a yep. great idea. Yeah. That should be great. That is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. We also, we, I think, uh, since he's come up, both Carrie and I really love Colton Whitehead's work. So we would love him. I think it'd be a great idea too. Some of the people you've named would be so fascinating, I think, to hear from. Yeah. If he's on the podcast, I'm going to, like, stake it out somehow. <laughs> no, I'm totally, I'm totally fangirled out on him. I don't even know if we know each other. Um, yeah, but I'm like, okay, he has, like, you know, a major fangirl in me. <laughs> That's great. We love that. So, Pamela, um, Thank you so much for joining us. This was uh, totally fascinating. And there's a couple of things I actually, uh, I write them down. So there's book recommendations, things I should look up. Thank you, this was fun. Oh, we loved having you. Thank you so much for doing this. And we really look forward to, um, hopefully we'll see you before, in person before Funeral Diva comes out, but it's coming out in October. Um, and we'll put all these links on our social media. So we'll have Instagram and Twitter, et cetera. So we'll actually bring people to the site um, where they can get that book, which I think would be great. And thank, thank you for also doing all this work right now. It's really, I've, as you know, I follow you everywhere where you're on social media. So it's, it's inspiring and kind of um, heartening to have someone with such humor and passion. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and I don't know if I told you guys, but I'm doing uh, the commencement speech this year at SAIC. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. And I want to talk about our, uh, the artist as the essential worker. So. Oh. Great. oh, that's great. So we can probably tune into that, right? It's probably a public yeah. Um, event. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you there next. Okay. Thank you uh, so much, Pamela. Okay. All right. Bye. Stay well, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye, Uli. Bye. With 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.